Hi listeners, welcome to Wholesome Kids Happy Living, a podcast aimed at inspiring a generation of happy and healthy kids, physically, emotionally and socially. Hi listeners, welcome to Wholesome Kids Happy Living. Hope you're all having a great week. Following on from one of my previous podcasts about screen time use for kids, it got me thinking about some of the boundaries parents set for what types of content the kids are exposed to. The common examples that I discussed in that podcast and that I see in my psychology work um, is the types of video games that kids are allowed to play. These are rated similar to movies and I frequently see and hear of kids who are playing adult rated games such as Fortnite. These types of battle and killing games have very graphic content that really can't be processed and understood appropriately by a child. So this is a quite obvious example, but something that isn't so black and white is the types of content that kids are exposed to in the media. And that may be through television or social media, radio, internet or newspaper. And I hadn't really given it much thought until I was talking to my 12-year-old niece earlier this year. And she spoke of how sad she felt after the bushfires, particularly seeing all the injured and killed wildlife on social media and the news on TV. That's when it dawned on me that this wasn't the first piece of confronting news in the media over the summer, and it definitely wouldn't be the last. So from the drought to fires to flooding, there's been family violence and fatal car accidents and and incurable diseases. And just when we thought that we couldn't get a break from it all, here comes coronavirus pandemic. So really then, what effect does exposure to this type of content have on children? Can they experience grief and loss indirectly through news stories that they hear or images that they see in the media? Or are our younger generations becoming more immune to this type of information? Are they just seeing it and just going with the flow and moving on as though life is just happening? To help answer some of these questions and provide insight into how parents can support their kids to process difficult content that they see and hear in the media, we're joined by psychologist Rebecca. Rebecca is from North Queensland and studied at James Cook University, where she completed a Bachelor of Psychology. She has worked with the Australian Defence Force within the criminal justice system and worked with people with intellectual disabilities through NDIS. Since moving to the beautiful Gold Coast, Rebecca now works in two private practices. She works with a broad range of clients with particular interest in self-care, self-confidence, self-esteem, anxiety, stress, mindfulness, and has a large interest in burnout prevention in those people working in high needs fields. So without further ado, welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me on today. So this podcast has come at a really good time, I feel. Now, we had initially spoke before the coronavirus had really blown up in the media, and we had got this idea really that came out of the bushfires and then the subsequent flooding, but also some of the family violence content that we were seeing during the media um, over the summer. But now coronavirus is here. And so I feel like out of everything that's happened over the summer, this has really got the most media coverage and it's, it's quite a huge topic. Oh, 100%. And like you said, I think it's just such a good time that we're doing um, this podcast. And I think, you know, people everywhere are feeling this. And, you know, I'm hoping that we can normalise some of these feelings and be able to give some coping tools going forward. When I think back to my childhood, I don't really remember much about watching a lot of television, definitely not the news. I think the one thing Mm. that I saw and that I fondly remember Um, was 9-11 and so at that time I um, was 
think I was about 10, 11 years old. And I just remember seeing, I was just walking through the lounge room and I think mum had the television on. And I just remember seeing a plane fly into a building, but it didn't really dawn on me that it was anything. And I kind of just kept going about my day to day. Um, And I remember saying to mum, like, why isn't home and away on tonight? And that was really my only thought about it. And when I look back at it now, I think, why, like, surely that should have hit home. But I think that I wasn't used to ever seeing anything difficult or traumatic um, in the media because I wasn't really exposed to it. We definitely didn't have social media. We didn't have um, telephone. We didn't have mobile phones. We didn't have tablets. Mm. We didn't have the internet really at our beck and call. Yeah. So what are some of the changing trends that kids are exposed to in today's society? What's that looking like and how is that different to the generations gone past? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I was around the same age um, with 9-11. And the first thing I said as well was because the next day we were actually meant to be going to New York. And I was like, are we still going to New York? Um, And mum was like, no. So I think, you know, that just you saying that just hit close to home because I was feeling um, very similar to that. But I guess this day and age, you know, the media and especially visual media in recent years are playing an increasing role in the lives of children, adolescents and families. And that's seen everywhere. And I guess, you know, while the limited use of high quality and developmentally appropriate media may have a positive influence, excessive and inappropriate use carries grave health risks for children. I know that that sounds quite intense, but Mm. it really does. And, you know, excessive exposure to screens, especially tablets, smartphones, computers, you know, all those things we didn't have, especially in early years, has been associated with uh, lower academic performance, increased um, sleep problems, obesity, behavior problems. I mean, I'm seeing that a lot um, in the way of behavioral issues um, with, you know, younger children coming in to see me. Uh, lower self-esteem. So I'm doing a lot more self-esteem work um, Mm. at the moment as well. Depression and high-risk behaviours. So this is, um, you know, sexual activity at a younger age and things like that. So you can see the positive impact of having social media, having internet, having access to the, um, the technology that we do, but the high use and inappropriate use definitely has a negative effect. Oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, there's studies on um, just say, for instance, video games and, you know, they're seeing that there's an improvement in spatial reasoning, but then things like verbal skills, um, logical argument, attention spans, things like that are decreasing. So we're seeing that, that differing range. So Um, that you think that they're, there can be a balance and that there is, hmm. yeah, kids can have benefit from having access to these outlets, but you're also seeing a detrimental impact of having exactly. um, inappropriate use. Exactly. And I think it's interesting that having access to all these different technology mediums means that um, information is just spreading like wildfire. It seems oh. like it's just constantly in our face. And I know this past week I've just had to turn the television off myself because it's just creating such a feeling of uncertainty um, Mm -hmm. that it means that it's just there all the time that you can't get away from it. Definitely. And I think it's important to normalise that, that, you know, even us as psychologists are feeling Mm, this. 
Definitely. Um, and that we ourselves need to put boundaries in place. Um, I'm very similar to you. I've had to, you know, actually have limiting times where I'm able to look at the news and then I'm going, nope, after that, that's it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And I totally get that because it, yeah. uh, along with obviously all your other daily stresses, um, having that in your face constantly has just been very overwhelming at times. Definitely, definitely. And so with the exposure that kids are having, and so it's through radio, it's through TV, the internet, social media, it really is everywhere. Can they experience grief and loss and and that feeling of trauma? Um, And if so, what does that look like for them? Yeah, definitely. So I guess, you know, children today have virtually unrestricted access to the media coverage of issues such as the coronavirus and, you know, months ago, the fires that were happening in Australia. Mm. And I feel like this does threaten their mental and physical health um, due to their extreme nature, really. Yeah. Um, You know, similar issues have been documented throughout history, but, you know, within this last decade, media coverage has given large attention to these issues. So, you know, Media access brings worldwide events very close to children um, and often in a very basic and sometimes intense way. Mm. So, you know, with the rise of Instagram, Facebook, um, Snapchat, all of those things, you know, these intrusive and unedited and uh, brain, <laughs> not working, <laughs> unedited images portraying violence and gruesome images Um, can be very intense so like you said about your niece you know she was saying that she saw you know all these images of Australian wildlife being Mm. you know injured or or dead and that's that's really intense and you know children don't have a a sense of spatiality and rarely understand the concept that these events have occurred far from where they currently are you know especially at the moment we need to I guess remind ourselves that it isn't that far from us because it's affecting everyone but in the grand sense or the grand scheme of things, um, it, it isn't happening or tending to be right in their home. Yeah. So, you know, these life events can cause feelings of unsafety, hopelessness, helplessness, um, which can obviously then be externalised as conduct problems. So, mm. ex- for example, you know, manifesting as behavioural issues. So I feel, you know, I don't want to use the the terms grief and feelings of loss, but it can manifest as that and Mm. alongside other things as well. And that's quite interesting. And I guess something that I hadn't thought of myself that Mm. it's bringing the, I guess, difficult content as though it's happening to them right here and right now, even though, say, for instance, the bushfires, um, my niece being in Bundaberg was nowhere near Mm. a single bushfire but to her, yeah. it felt like she was a part of it. But also seeing, as you said, dead wildlife, yeah. when would she normally have that happen in her day-to-day life? She generally would not come across that. Um, yes. You know, if a pet passed away, parents would be dealing with that much differently. They wouldn't be taking photos of the passed away pet and then um, showing showing the, the rest of the family. That wouldn't be happening. That's not how they would process and deal with it. So exactly. I guess it's it's showing information in a very unnatural way that makes it Definitely. feel like it's happening right here, right now for kids. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of children don't have that capacity um, to be able to understand that. Mm. It's, I guess that's something that parents may not have actually thought about and something that I definitely didn't think about as well. I more so thought about it from the perspective of, well, these are graphic images and they're hard to process, mm. but I didn't think about it 
bringing that information into the homes of these families and making it feel like it was happening for them right here, right now. Exactly. Yeah. So with that, you said, you know, it's unrestricted access to all this information for kids Mm. and families. Should parents then be limiting or protecting their kids from seeing the difficult content or are we taking more of the approach of, you know what, they're going to grow up in this world and they're going to be exposed to it. So we've just got to let it happen. Yeah, I think here, and especially because, you know, we ourselves are limiting our own, you know, access to media. I think parents definitely should be limiting media exposure. Um, You know, Queensland Health in itself recommends children under the age of two to have no screen time Mm. and then children between the ages of two to five to have one hour. And obviously this is something that we need to take with a grain of salt um, because obviously things change and, you know, parents parent differently and you know it shouldn't be the be all to end all but Mm. I think you know we do need to keep that in mind that you know obviously young children um, shouldn't be fully exposed to these things constantly and I think it's important to have conversations around difficult content that is happening in the media Mm. and obviously this conversation will be different depending on age Mm. Um, I have a particular way um, that I set out I guess, this kind of thing with parents that come into therapy um, to discuss hard topics with their children. Um, And I've got like a little bit of a spiel that I'm going to say how I do it. Um, So I've just got some dot points here. But what I usually say to them is, you know, number one, share information about what happened and also limit exposure to media because I think it's important for the parent to be able to be the one that shares um, information. And obviously not... um, and this is obviously dependent on age as well, yeah, about sure. how much information you give. Um, you'd probably be surprised about how much children actually know, especially mm. the schooling and things like that. Um, but coming from you, I think uh, you're that safe place um, and, you know, they have the ability to kind of talk about their feelings. So, you know, number one, sharing information. Number two is picking good times to talk about it. Um, cause obviously there's particular times that probably won't be the best, mm. um, to talk to your children about it, you know, straight after school, they're probably exhausted. So you don't want to yeah. add you know, more stress to them. Mm. Um, number three is maintain routines. Um, and this is something that I'll probably go into more detail a bit later on, but maintaining routines is really important. Um, number four is acting calm, um, as best you can, obviously you want to normalize feelings, but promoting secure attachment and making your child feel safe is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we want to understand that the children cope in different ways and you have to be open to this. So, you know, obviously that's dependent on their age, but also just who they are as, as little people. Yeah, sure. And then listening well so that your child feels heard. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the, the biggest ones is just, you know, allowing them to feel heard throughout this. And I think that Um, last one of feeling heard is interesting because it will look different for different ages. So if I had had that mindset with my niece, I saw that she Mm -hmm. was resharing a lot of that difficult content through her Instagram stories. But I just thought, oh, well, you know, they're sad images. I didn't think, oh, actually, this is a good time to reach out and say, hey, I see that you're posting a lot about this. Is that something that you're finding challenging to manage? And that's perfect. The way that you just said that, like she would have felt so heard in that moment Mm. um, and had the ability to be able to share back. So yeah, what you said, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I think the, and then the next one is helping your child feel relaxed with grounding techniques. So grounding techniques and relaxa relaxation techniques um, are definitely something that I promote um, a lot within therapy because I think it's important for them to have little toolkits. Mm -hmm. And then the next one is acknowledge what your child is feeling and don't minimize it. I think that's really important as well. Um, so, you know, don't just say, um, or don't just move on really quickly through that. Um, let them fully express how they're feeling. Yeah. So and not then, the, you'll be fine. Exactly. It's, it's not affecting us. So it's not something we need to worry about. Exactly. It, yeah. And then I think lastly, and most importantly, it's okay to answer. I don't know. Yeah. I think Great. that's huge. Yeah. yeah. To say, we don't know where it's going to go. Or we don't know how it's going to pan out. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's also important. And I think we've discussed this just before that parents themselves also limit their own media exposure, mm. you know, yeah. lead by example. Um, but also just try, try not to stress yourselves out yeah. because, you know, you, we need to practice self-care during this time. And we know that uh, me having a baby, even babies as young as, you know, Lenny, she's only four months old, but I feel like she yeah. really feeds off my stress and anxiety um, and it oh, makes yeah. her much more unsettled. So I can imagine that only amplifies as kids get older. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we definitely feed off each other's energies. Yeah. So you're not saying um, avoid the topic altogether, mm. but I think what you're highlighting is that parents should be the first ones to have the conversations about these difficult things. And it may be exactly. just asking what, what your child knows about it, because if it's yes. not even on their radar, then it may not be that it needs to be talked about at that time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. So my next sort of wave of thinking was really around particular ages, but it doesn't seem mm. like from what you've said so far that it's that black and white, that once they hit yeah. seven, that's when we start talking to them about difficult content. <laughs> so exactly. you're, you're saying that it is appropriate for parents to share information with their children um, mm -hmm. Are there some factors that they need to keep in mind around their child or things that they could be looking out for with their child that would make it more or less likely or how they might share information? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, children's brains have a massive growth spurt when they're very young. So mm -hmm. by the time they're six, their brains are already about 90 to 95% of adult size. Yeah. But obviously the brain still needs a lot of remodeling before it can function as an adult brain. Sure. So this brain remodeling happens intensively during adolescence. So, and this continues into your child's, I guess, mid twenties. Mm -hmm. So some brain changes happen before puberty and some continue long after. And brain changes depend on age, experience and hormonal changes in puberty. So, so even though all teenagers' brains develop in roughly the same way at the same time, there are differences among individual teenagers. Mm. So, for example, if your child started puberty earlier, then this might mean that some of your child's brain changes started early too. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, I wanted to kind of go inside the teenage brain a little bit just to give you a bit of um, background info because I think it, it is important. So adolescence is a time of significant growth and development inside the teenage brain. So the main change is that unused connections in the thinking and processing part of your child's brain, and this is called the gray matter, mm -hmm. are pruned away. 
So at the same time, other connections are strengthened. So this is the brain's way of becoming more efficient. Mm -hmm. And this is based on the use it or lose it principle um, that we tend to say. So this pruning process begins in the back of the brain, the front part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex is remodeled last. So the prefrontal cortex is the decision-making part of the brain. And this is responsible for your child's ability to plan and think about the consequences of actions, solve problems and control impulses. So changes in this part uh, continue into early adulthood. And because of the prefrontal cause, because the prefrontal cortex is still developing, teenagers might rely on a part of the brain called the amygdala to make decisions and solve problems Mm. more so than what adults do. So the amygdala is associated with emotions, impulses, aggression, and instinctual behavior. So that's why we see that difference. (laughs) Sounds like a teenager. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And, but what I think, and I, I just think it's important to give that background because, you know, if your child is using that amygdala, that's why they can have, you know, higher emotion, emotions and, you know, more impulsive behaviours. And this is where conduct issues can take place and things like that. So, but what I also think and what's most important here is that there is individual maturity levels and emotional intelligence. Mm. So, you know, if your child has any underlying mental health conditions, so, you know, if your child already experiences stress or anxiety, then you must be, I guess, more careful with the content that you, that they are exposed to. Mm. But, you know, you also don't want to be a helicopter parent. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, you've got to find that balance. Yeah. Um, so because I they're think, going to, sorry, they're just, yeah, so a child okay. that perhaps has a more, you know, you'll hear parents say, my child's a bit more sensitive or a bit more yeah. emotional. Um, yeah. They tend then to have that future thinking focus yes um and also a tendency to catastrophize and what i mean by that is you'll see them worst case scenario which can spiral Mm -hmm. pretty quickly a hundred percent and especially you know in relation to the current coronavirus we're seeing that a lot more so at the Mm. moment as well because i think you know as a entire world you know we aren't too sure what is going to happen um in the future but we also need to work within what's at within our control and what's with outside of our control yeah for sure um but yeah so i think it's it's very dependent um and i don't think that there's one strict answer on that question yeah i'm I'm good at you know going around questions (laughs) (laughs) but i think i think this is the time that it's important to reach out to others um you know and you know join parenting groups you know coming and seeing a therapist if you need it all of those types of things and i think you know it is dependent on your individual child yeah and i guess if they're asking the questions like you said before yeah. then it's not a time to dismiss it or say this is not something you need to worry about because yeah. chances are they've already started worrying about it or they're curious exactly. yeah exactly exactly um so if we know that these kids are getting exposed to that difficult content in the media, but mm-hmm. are there any risks associated with repeated exposure? So it's been a pretty hard, you know, four, five, six months in Australia. It feels yeah. like there's a new news story every single day with something challenging to process. Um, yeah. And as I said earlier, we had bushfires, then we had flooding, then there was very difficult family violence. There's 
forever information about incurable diseases in the media. And now we've yeah. got the coronavirus pandemic, which is just on every single television station. It's constantly on your Facebook feed, on your Instagram, it's everywhere. So for kids having repeated exposure day after day of this information, is there any risks associated with that? Yeah. And I, I definitely think that there are risks and I think, you know, it's also dependent on their age and if they have any previous mental health conditions or mm. if they're predisposed as well. So, you know, I, I think it's also dependent on how the parent reacts to situations Sure. Um, because this obviously does affect the child differently. I think what's really important though is for children to have, um, I guess, limiting exposure, like we've already talked about, mm. um, you know, not fully saying no media because that can go the opposite way, but just, sure. you know, just making sure that it's being monitored and at a lesser rate, but also for children to have coping tools mm. um, because the difference between children that have coping tools versus those that don't, we see a big difference. And so what would be your main tips then for parents, um, I guess, to support their kids to process and understand that information to reduce the risk of it progressing further or spiralling out of control for their kids? Yeah, yep. So um, in the way of like having coping tools? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah so yeah, what yeah. sort of things can they help their kids develop or resources that may be out there that they can help to, um, yeah. I guess they can use to help explain to their kids what's happening? Definitely. So this is more along the lines of things like social stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think social stories are amazing and, you know, social stories were first brought out to help children with um, autism spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. um, but for anyone that doesn't know what a social story is, social stories use stories. So actual pictures to explain social situations to children and to help them learn socially appropriate behaviors, responses, and also to explain um, different things, scenarios, etc. Mm -hmm. So there's some wonderful social stories that are out at the moment, and um, I'm going to send them to you so you can put them um, up on the website for all the parents. Lovely, yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, so I've got some you know resources for the fires, but also I think what's most important now is obviously the current coronavirus pandemic. And do these so, stories provide a bit more black and white uh, yes. I guess, context for kids? Because when you're talking about the prefrontal cortex and that not developing until well into you know, late teens and yeah. um, that early adulthood, for kids it is really hard for them to understand that there's grey in the world and that it's not, mm -hmm. um, it's not black or white thinking. So it is much easier for them to say, well, it's all or nothing. Um, so I'm going to get, you know, I'm, I'm going to get coronavirus because it's all over the news. It's everywhere out yeah. there. It's really hard for them to see. Well, no, only some people get it and your risk is increased if you've been overseas. Like it's really hard for them to keep all of that information in mind and make a rational decision about um, what might happen to them. Exactly. Yeah. You said that perfectly. But yeah, <laughs> um, social stories are all about just bringing it back to basics. So, you know, the, the language that they use is very basic. Um, the pictures are very um, beautiful, but also simplistic as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I think that they're an amazing resource to use at the moment, especially for, you know, I'd say children under the age of 12. Yep. Um, I, th I think that they're a, a perfect resource. Um, so like I said, I'll, I'll send you those links so that parents can utilize those. Yeah. Um, but something that I also think is important and, you know, add it to your 
your child's toolkit, I guess we could call it, is um, making sure that they keep some form of routine or schedule. So, you know, especially at this time, I'm pretty sure that children have gone on, um, you know, school holidays at the moment early. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's important to keep some form of schedule for them during this time. So, you know, keeping, you know, breakfast times or I would actually recommend having just a visual. So, you yep. know, create this um, at home and you can just have it something really basic like a Word document. Um, and if, you know, uh, the parents are interested in this, I can just quickly whip one up. Um, but, you know, have wake-up time, have breakfast time, have clear instructions. So, you yep. know, time for chores, time for academic learning. Because I think, you know, even though children are going into this early holidays, I think it's important to still have some form of academic learning. Mm. Um, and also on the schedule, you could schedule in, um, online time. So, you know, have a specific time that they can go online. Um, and then also have other important things on there, such as, you know, lunch or quiet time, because we all need that. Mm, (laughs) Uh, If you could tell my four month old baby that we could have (laughs) quiet time during the day, that'd be great. Oh, sure. I'll come over and do that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, but have, you know, creative time. I think it's really important at this time to have some creative time set aside. So, you know, utilize Play-Doh or, you know, textures, you know, draw some pictures, um, have TV time set in there as well Mm -hmm. and family time. I think it's also important at this time to have a bedtime schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's really important and I'm, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here. I'm sorry, but to have no, sleep fine. hygiene on this, because yeah. I think sleep hygiene and, you know, limiting your time on screens before bed is really important. So I always say to turn your screens off half an hour to an hour before bed. And I think it's, you know, also really important at this time to have that as well, because we need time to kind of downregulate our bodies. Mm. So, you know, using TVs, tablets, smartphones, laptops, or any other um, device before bed actually delays our body's internal clock and it suppresses the release of the sleep inducing hormone melatonin. So it actually makes it more difficult. Yeah. And so if you said there's, there's a right and a wrong time to discuss, you know, difficult content, yeah before bed you really want time yeah before bed you really want time to to take your mind into the present moment as opposed to having some of those difficult conversations exactly and this is where you can utilize and you know add this to your child's toolkit as well you know apps or um and you obviously have the app don't don't give it to them but something Mm. like smiling mind where you could do guided meditations or, you know, breathing techniques or things like that right before bed so that that would help them downregulate their nervous system um, and obviously get them, you know, into a better uh, internal clock. Yep. Um, I think also another thing to add to your toolkit is grounding exercises and relaxation techniques. So my favourite technique, and, you know, you'll be able to see this on my um, Instagram page as well, is what I call the five, four, three, two, one technique. Yep. And I've kind of changed this one up a bit as well. Um, but it's what you do is it's five things that you can see, four things that you can feel, three things that you can hear, two things that you can either taste or smell. And then I've changed it a bit. And it's one good thing about yourself is the oh, last that's one. That's nice. So, yeah. I just like to build up that, you know, self-confidence, self-esteem within it as well. 
And it's interesting, I saw on the news this morning, my scheduled time to watch the news. Um, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but there was a good news story and I thought this was actually a really great grounding exercise was yeah. neighbourhoods are doing um, teddy bear hunts for kids. So oh, they're putting, I they're hiding that. teddy bears outside or in, the, in their like lounge room windows. Kids take their teddy bear with them and they've got to try and find as many teddy bears as they can. So I think some people got creative and like hung it up the top um story of their house off the balcony and then others have popped it in the, a tree out the front yard so they're still maintaining social distance but it allows kids to really be in the present in the moment they're having to problem solve and they're having to get creative with their thinking um, but they're also having fun so it's releasing those endorphins and feel good emotions oh. I love that. And that really ties into, I guess, my next one that I think is important to build into this toolkit is helping teach your child resilience, mm. you know? So, you know, I think it's really important to, you know, I guess, teach your child resilience skills. And some of that is problem solving skills. So like mm. what you said with the teddy bear hunt, you know, um, you know, teaching them really good communication skills, um, teaching them ways of um, emotional regulation. So how to, um, I guess, manage those feelings and emotions that are coming up. And then, you know, having plans and, you know, being able to talk about positive self-image and there's so much that comes with resilience. Yeah. I could go on a tangent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, that, that's another important way to bring um, that in. So if, they've had that difficult conversation with their child um, yeah. supporting them around that resilience would be okay so we you know it is a really challenging time and there is a lot of uncertainty um, yes. but what we what can we do now to help ourselves feel better exactly exactly and that's problem solving skills that's emotional regulation yeah. emotional intelligence that's so much that just comes from that and also you know getting your child to feel heard because mm. you've listened and now you're reflecting back on that and trying to problem solve. Yeah, and I guess we know that as adults, when we get to really debrief and have a good conversation with somebody, it's very cathartic and then you can move on and go, okay, yep, it is hard, yeah. but let's do this. This makes me feel good. Yeah, exactly. And I know this sounds really random, but do you remember the game Operation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's it's still available in Kmart. So if, you know, parents need it, but you know, the game operation is a great way to kind of build that as well and to build flexibility. So, you know, for example, if you can't get like a piece out like of the operation mm, set, so you can reflect oh my gosh, right? <laughs> but but you can build being adaptable by saying things back to your child like what do you do when you can't get the piece out without setting off the buzzer? You know, you can learn how to reset. So now you've set off the buzzer. What do you do next? What mm. strategy will you use? So they're doing you know, planning and sequencing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you can do that in the comfort of your own home, right? Yeah. Without and having then, you know, a, let's sit down and have a, a, a chat about our feelings. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, that's a bit harder with um, adolescents and yeah, teenagers. And younger, and younger kids as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a really exactly. good idea. That's awesome. So, you know, you've just, you've got to be a little bit, um, I guess, outside of the box with things like this at times. Yeah. Well, I think that that has given parents a lot to think about in terms of helping <laughs> their kids process that really difficult and challenging information that they're seeing through the media. 
coronavirus is going to come and hopefully go in the not too distant future, but it's not going to be the last difficult piece of information that we're going to see in the news. So yeah, I think that the take home message here for parents is that these are the resilience and the self-confidence skills are things that they should be working on with their kids and trying to develop, you know, from a young age and to keep that happening, that it's not just let's try it every time that something big hits the news. It's something that they can do day to day and ongoing with their kids and even with teenagers. But as you said, you might have to get a bit more creative and and outside the box with how you do that. Yeah, Um, exactly. so, So thank you so much, Rebecca. It was honestly fantastic to have you on today as I said it's come at a very um, good time with everything that's happening in the world at the moment Um, we're going to link the social stories and other resources uh, on a blog post we might even pop up that grounding exercise on a blog on our website for parents to go and access um, and that way they can get going and and have a go at that um, at home for those that want to follow you on Instagram um, just to mm-hmm. keep up to date with what you're doing and, and some of the, I know that following you, I've got lots of really great helpful tips and tricks um, that, so much. yeah, that I find really useful and beneficial, not only for myself, but obviously thinking about how I parent Lenny now as a baby and as she moves into the future. Um, so yeah. what's that Instagram for those that yep. want to follow? Wonderful. So it's just psychologist Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A, and then an M. So psychologist Rebecca M for Mary. Awesome. So you can give Rebecca a follow on Instagram and keep up to date with lots of great tips and tricks for your kids. But before I let her go, we're going to do get to know the guest. Uh, and you're going to get an I thought opportunity. I escaped it. No, no, no. You're going to get an opportunity to see the woman behind the psychologist in Rebecca. So we're going to go quick fire five questions. Um, and just mm-hmm. give me the first question, uh, the first answer that comes to mind. Okay. All right, let's do this. You're willing to do it? <laughs> yep, I'm You're willing. Up for it? Okay. Yep. All right. You ask for consent, so I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> good, good psychologist right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So five questions. Ready, set, here we go. If you were an animal, which animal would you be? Or tiger. Tiger, lovely. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? I think Greece. Greece, nice. Um, what motivates you to work hard? Ooh, I don't know. It's just ingrained. I have yeah. no idea. I just, yeah. <laughs> That's a hard one. <laughs> very, I'm getting very deep and philosophical. You are, aren't you? <laughs> uh, what's your favourite sport or pastime? Um, I... I actually just really love going to the gym, Pilates, yoga. Get your body moving. Love it. Yeah, exactly. Very important at this time. Oh, 100%. Uh, And at a party, would you be the one (laughs) dancing out the front or singing on stage? I would be the one at the grazing table. (laughs) (laughs) So neither. So neither. (laughs) Okay. Not a dancer, not a singer. Nope. So if you do happen to see Rebecca either socially or um, in a professional context in the future. Uh, she's not going to sing or dance for you, but she, she'll want you to I'm bring at a the raising platter. Yeah, bring a, bring I'm, a I'm raising with the platter. Food. Yeah, <laughs> very good. <laughs> well, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
um, and to all our listeners out there, stay healthy, stay safe, remember our social distancing and protect to protect those that are the most vulnerable in our community. This time will pass and we will be all much better for it. Um, but as Rebecca has said today, we do have to sit with the uncertainty and we do have to sit with some of those difficult feelings and that's okay. That yeah, no definitely. emotion is right or wrong, um, but keep doing the things that make you happy. Uh, keep making time for your family and stay socially connected. And remember that wholesome living is happy living. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much.